Welcome to another episode of the Property Nomads podcast and delighted to be joined again by Mike Cobb of ECI Development. We are looking at the 15 critical must-ask uh, must questions when buying real estate overseas. In previous episodes, Mike has covered buy what you see, so five questions on buy what you see, five questions on owned community, and now we're into the final part of the trilogy, and this is all about know the developer. Uh, Mike, uh, welcome back and thanks for your time. Absolutely, Rob. Thanks again for having me. This is, uh, again, it's a lot of fun, man. You're you're a great host. You run a great podcast and uh, and I'm just really happy to be here uh, you know, sharing some of this information with folks. So, hey, but before we get started, I got to turn the tables. I've got to ask you a question so that you can help me with this this first description, okay? Where Where do people in England like to take their honeymoon where do people in england like to take their honeymoons um i would say it's a mixture of two places uh, number one would be the caribbean okay at uh, number two i would probably say bali in in indonesia yeah okay all right <laughs> okay and and so you know in the united states we we uh and so the second part of that question is you know, where, where would it be likely, and in, in the United States, this happens, and I'll use the example, in, in, in fact, uh, know the developer. Let me, let me just, <laughs> that was kind of a wacky question, but I'm going to circle back to it, Rob, I promise. I'll get I love it. I love it. I'll, any questions you want to ask, Mike, far away. I, I love getting questioned. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, you know, um, this know the developer concept's really, really important because you know, you mentioned in the last time, you know, caveat emptor, the buyer beware. Uh, we, coming out of, you know, the UK, Europe, North America, you know, we, we really are lulled into a false sense of security by big brother, right? By by these government institutions that just watch out for us in, in any myriad of ways that we don't even think about anymore, right? Truth in advertising, truth in lending, uh, we talked about oversight uh, regulators who who look at uh, the, the the homeowners fees and the condo owner fees uh, last time, right? So I mean, we, we've got all these different agencies and organizations that are just always looking out for us, and and because of that, I think we get lulled into a false sense of security when we go overseas because we just assume that this applies there too. But the reality is, is that in most, much of the developing world in Latin America, where I do most of my work, um, that's not the case. I mean, the Caribbean, right? It, it, it is fully buyer beware land of caveat emptor. So, um, you know, th th this idea, this general principle that we're going to talk about today, know the developer is, is so fundamentally important uh, for, for that reason. You know, in, in the past two uh, episodes of the trilogy, we, we talked about the other three principles. You know, we have these 15 questions. They're, they're a lot to remember if, you know, we, we have a copy of the Consumer Resource Guide that we're happy to provide to uh, your listeners. They can request it. We'll, we'll send them a copy. Um, but if we can't remember the 15 questions or we don't have the checklist uh, that we provide, you know, what we've done is we've really tried to boil things down to three simple principles, three easy principles to remember. And if we if we hold these principles when we're looking at property overseas and buying property overseas, then we can 
you know, ask better questions. The first is buy what you see. It's really simple. If it exists, it's there. If it doesn't exist, it's just a promise, right? And so, you know, if, and, and we, we teased about this on the last one with the idea of gonna, right? You know, the developer's gonna put in electric. Oh, I'm gonna run the roads. I'm gonna run the electric. I'm gonna build a tennis court and a clubhouse over here, right? Well, gonna is just an easy word to say, but without these big regulatory bodies that regulate whether he can say it, and if he says it and it's not true, throw him or her in jail, right? I mean, like, like gonna is just a word. And in the developing world, it's easy to say and hard to achieve, right? I mean, any, any of these things are hard to achieve, right? But, but so this, this idea of buy what you see eliminates that particular issue. If the electric's there and it works, there's electric. If there's no electric, well, you might end up needing a generator someday because, you know, you don't know if it's really going to get there or not, right? Um, same thing with amenities, clubhouses, pools, all that kind of stuff, right? The second uh, concept, so we have buy what you see as, a, as an easy-to-remember principle. And the next principle is own community, right? This idea of having things like golf courses and clubhouses and tennis courts and swimming pools and bars and restaurants and places for us to get together and build a new friendship network, build new community, right? We want to own community. That was our second part of our trilogy we did last time. And then the third principle that, again, we can hold in our mind is know the developer. And so the reason I ask you where people take their honeymoons is, you know, in, in, in the United States, they're, they're, you know, I, maybe you know, myths or legends about it happens. It doesn't happen very often, but I know I, I, it happens once in a while. And I'll tell you why I know that. So in the United States, what, what the story is, is, yeah, you know, I met somebody, we flew to Las Vegas and we got married. Uh, you know, I met her, you know, I met her at a bar on Friday and Saturday we flew to Las Vegas and we got married. Right. And, and, and I, I give that example in a lot of my presentations and, and one time I'm up and, you know, again, several hundred people in the audience and I say, you know, I mean, typically, you know, I mean, this happens once. So did this happen to anyone? Has anyone just met, did anyone meet their, their spouse, you know, one day and, and go get married the next day? <laughs> this lady puts up her hand and go, yep, I did. And I'm like, oh, wow. I said, how long have you been married? She said, 40 years. I'm like, all right, well, that worked out. But, but, <laughs> but you know, people, people don't go to a pub in London on a Friday and think, oh, I'm going to go find the justice of the peace on Saturday morning and, and then, you know, Saturday afternoon fly to Bali for their honeymoon. That, that, that generally isn't how people pick a spouse, right? You know, we meet someone, we date for a while, we get engaged, and then at some point in the future, you know, usually months to years, we get married. Well, why do we do it that way, right? Because we want to get to know the person that we're going to spend the presumably the rest of our life with or some very long period of time with, right? We want to get to know them. Well, when we buy property overseas, we should really consider it like a marriage, right? Because there is no government agency that's going to protect us. The relationship we are making for, for warranty, you know, completion, uh, answering any problems, taking care of us, finishing what they say they're going to finish, right? This is all dependent upon the developer. And 
And, 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 and sadly, many people buy property. They go on vacation. I call it Margarita Madness. They go on vacation on you know Saturday and Wednesday, they're having the best time. And by Wednesday, they are just like, oh, they finally relaxed. They forgot about work. They're having the best time in their life. They meet a real estate agent at the bar. I put that in quotation marks, right? Air, air quotes. They meet a real estate agent at the bar who says, you should come up the road here and look at these condos we got for sale. Um, you, you're going to love them. And next thing you know, they're up there. They're drinking more margaritas. They're dropping a, you know, a, a 5,000 pound deposit on a beautiful oceanfront condo in the Caribbean or in Bali or wherever it happens to be. Well, that's margarita madness. I mean, that's meeting someone in the pub and getting married and flying off on your honeymoon all in like one day or two days. We don't get married that way very often. We shouldn't buy property that way ever, really ever. Um, you know, it, it, when, we, when we buy property, we should date for a while, we should get engaged for a while, and then we should get married. And these last five questions, so the questions uh, number 11 through 15 of the 15 questions, talk about how do we really get to know the developer? Because again, it's that relationship that's going to stay over the long term. Um, the regulatory bodies aren't there to protect us. So uh, that, that's sort of getting us prepped up for, for, for question number 11. Any thoughts or questions on that, Rob, before we dig into the questions? A couple of things that spring to mind, uh, Mike, is uh, you know, number one, I think these 11 through 15 is going to be really, really good because I think that a lot of what you're going to go through is you know, of course, this is related to buying real estate internationally, but this could also be quite applicable if you are, let's just say, you're living in the south of England and you're looking to do projects in the north of England. You know, I think some of the principles might be quite yes. similar. Um, Very much so. Yep. That, that, that's, that's my key takeaway. So, yeah, really looking forward to these these next five questions. All right. Well, let's dig in. Um, yeah, good point. I mean, yeah, a lot of these things, by the way, you know, aren't necessarily overseas and, and they are applicable. So I'm glad you're bringing that home. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate you making it relevant to a domestic audience as well. Um, question number 11, you know, and, and this is maybe more so for somebody who's building a home, but it, it's, you know, it's how will you build your home from thousands of miles away? Who can oversee the construction of, of the home? What's included into what standards, right? Um, you know, Again, we, we talked about is the house or home plumbed for hot water and all the bathrooms? Uh, you know, th th that's, we kind of laugh about that, but when, when, if you have a home designed by an architect in, in the developing world in Latin America, they're gonna design it based on their clients and their experience, which might not have hot water in the bathrooms. And so, again, we might not think to look at that on the architectural plans. Well, is there a hot water line running to you know, all the bathrooms. Again, so having, so, so the question is, is how, how are we going to make sure we, you know, the standards, that, that the expectations and the standards, right? We need to be thinking through these things. We may want to hire a local architect in our hometown or our home area to review the plans because they may go, whoa, you understand that there's only three outlets uh, in your living room. 
be like, well, I think we need six, right? Okay, well, now you can add them. Or there's no hot water to these bathrooms. Or the light switch is behind the door when you enter a room. I mean, I see this all the time. I just scratch my head. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I walk into a room. I open the door. Where's the light switch? Oh, yeah, it's behind the door I just opened, right? I mean, there's two walls. I could put it on the other wall, but it just wasn't something they thought about. So, again, the standards and expectations, hiring a local architect where we live or, or somebody we know to review a set of plans from overseas. Very, very important. Then the, the next part of the question is, okay, so we've had that happen. How do we actually ensure that they put the light switch in the right place and that they actually run the hot water pipes and they put the right size wires in and they use the right size rebar? So when we buy or when we build a home overseas, we should actually contract an independent engineering firm, uh, not our developer, not our architect, a third-party independent engineering firm to oversee and make reports on the construction and ensure uh, that the, the home is being built to uh, the, the specifications. In the case of a condominium building where we're buying pre-construction, which is a lot of times, I think in England, they call it off-plan. Um, so if you're buying off-plan or pre-construction, uh, again, uh, it's not quite as necessary, but it, it, or not as often, but I do think uh, hiring a third-party engineering firm to do some inspections to make sure that the building uh, is being built to you know, industry standards and then your specific condo when it's time to actually build that out, uh, you know, whether it's mostly with the finishes, that the finishes are being done to a level of satisfaction that, that meets your expectations so that you're not tearing out stuff when you come later for your walkthrough. So again, just, just that particular point of having third-party verification at the front end in design locally in your home country so you can make sure they're designing what you expect and then the engineering firm on site doing third-party independent inspections to ensure that what's being built is to plan. So that's question number 11. Yeah, number 11. Questions, thoughts, Rob? Exactly as I would expect, to be honest, Micah. I think if I was buying off plan even in, in the UK and I wasn't living near where the off plan was taking place, I think with everything we've got nowadays in you know, Zoom, Skype, WhatsApp, and all these yeah. video things that we can use, and you know, I'd, I'd certainly be using them. And I've noted down that you know, property is, is a people business, and when we get to this level, it's about really surrounding yourself with the relevant professional people and that, that this to me this is what uh, question 11 is is surrounding yourself with the relevant professionals in the relative fields you got it absolutely yep absolutely it, it is always about people so all right question number 12 um is the development company financially solid do they have a track record of success uh and then I didn't put this here, but it's it's an ancillary to this question. Do they have a business plan? So let's start with, you know, are they financially solid? Do they have a track record of success? Well, a business plan is an easy way to uh, validate this, right? So if we're buying a condominium or we're buying a home in a development, uh, it, it's, it's easy to just ask the developer, uh, say, hey, can I see a copy of your business plan? Now, it, it's, it's an interesting concept, right? Professional developers, professionals generally, professional business people, 
have business plans, right? Because they're not winging it. Like they actually set out to do something. They wrote a business plan, even if it's just for internal sake, right? It's a roadmap. A business plan's a roadmap. I mean, it, it gets a lot of uses, right? We can use a business plan for many different things. But, but simply and fundamentally, a business plan's a roadmap. Here's my idea. Here's how I plan to execute it. Here are the resources I'm going to need. Here are the people I'm going to need, right? And so, you know, if we put all that on paper, it might be two, three, four, five pages. It might be 100 pages. It might be 300 pages, right? It's not so much how big or detailed the business plan is. The first simple step on this question is, do they actually have a business plan? Because if they don't have a business plan, what they're really telling you is, I'm just winging it. <laughs> I'm just winging it. <laughs> and hey, you know what? If you're cool with that as a consumer and the buyer, go for it. I mean, you just need to know what you're getting into. Eh? They're just winging it. So have at it. I like to deal with professionals. And we talked about, you mentioned that in the last you know, uh, question, right? I want to deal with professionals who know what they're doing, have a plan and you know, execute their plan, right? So if, you, if they have a business plan, that's a big plus. From the business plan, you're going to be able to see track record, right? You're going to be able to see team, right? One thing's to have a business plan. Another's to say, yeah, this is what we're going to do, right? And, 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 you know, and you look around the office, there's three people sitting there, yet they're telling you they're going to build bars, restaurants, swimming pools. I mean, there was one developer in Mexico that was going to build a Formula One circuit, right? And, and I'm looking around his office, I think maybe, maybe six people, right? Six people sitting in cubicles. I'm thinking, you're going to build 36 holes of golf and a Formula One circuit and this and that and thousands of homes, and you got six people sitting here? Like, like it just didn't match. I mean, there was an absolute misalignment of, of what was in the business plan to, you know, team personnel, people reality, right? There was also a mismatch to financial resources. That's the next piece. So if a developer says, hey, yeah, we're gonna, I love that word again, gonna build a golf course. Well, golf courses cost three, four, five million bucks at the low end, you know, and they go up to 20 million at the high end, but just figure a low-end golf course is four or five million bucks, right? Well, great, Mr. Developer. I'm glad you're going to build a golf course. I love to golf. Please print me last month's bank statement and show me five million bucks sitting there. You're going to build a golf course. That's great. I, I'm glad, you know, show me five million bucks. Well, if they have it, great. If they don't have it, well, then gonna is just a word. We're, you know, I'm going to go to the moon someday. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not, right? I don't have the means to get there. So, you know, gonna is a tough word. So a business plan, yes or no? Does the business plan mesh with the people, the team, right? And does it mesh with the financial reality? That That's really question 12. We as the consumer have the right to say, show me the money, okay? Show me the money. Like, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. All right, I want to see how you're going to do it. I want to know the people, I want to know the plan, and I want to see the money. So that's question 12. Straightforward stuff. Absolutely straightforward yep. stuff. It's something, again, it's um, something I'd look at over here. And if we were, you know, you know, sometimes what Aaron and I do, we might come across 
some developers that need some finance or want some finance and they can offer you know a decent rate of return and if we know people that you know are looking to do sort of hands-off investing we'll match people together and we always say the same thing do your own homework do your due diligence yeah. and these investors will do do exactly that look at the business plan look at the financials look at the track record what's going on how you're going to do it where is it uh, all of those things so yeah absolutely makes sense yeah and and you know rob the, 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 i'm not against people taking a chance either on a wing and a prayer like you get somebody who doesn't have a business plan but but you like them and you think they're good guys and and they're honest about it and say i don't have a business plan but you know we're going to give this the old college try and and we'd like you to buy one of our units and, and ride along with us. And if you're the consumer and you hear that and they're transparent about it and you decide to move ahead, great. Again, I, I'm a freedom-loving individual. That's that's an agreement between two adults, right? And and it is what it is. Um, you know, same thing with with uh, the financial capability. You know, a lot of times, you know, companies don't have the money in place to do it, and it's just to me a matter of transparency. Hey, look, we'd like to, this is a different way of saying it. We'd like to build a golf course. We don't have the $5 million. Here's our plan to raise it, right? But we don't have it today. So I just wanted to be honest that, you know, we'd like to build a golf course. Our plan is to build one, but we don't have the money yet. But I know you like to golf, Mr. Johnson. Um, You know, so, you know, we're going to do our best, but we just can't promise it. Well, that's fair. That's honest. That's transparent, right? So, it, it to me, it's really a matter of the honesty and the transparency and disclosures in a in a country or region where they're not mandatory, nor are they regulated or overseen by any you know government or official body, right? So, again, as 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 free individuals, we, we should have the right to make good decisions or bad decisions, but but we have to take charge to know that we're getting you know, honest information or all the information when we can. So, yeah. Um, All right. Number 13. Um, Is there a central sewer system? And, and, and it's not just, and this is going to sound a little bit gross. It's, it's, it's kind of a gross topic, but it, it is what it is, right? In, in much of the developing world, um, you know, they really don't, plan out their public infrastructure very well. Um, it, it's, it's undersized, you've got sprawling growth, and you don't have governments that really keep up with that growth in terms of uh, you know, electrical grid, freshwater grid, sewer systems, uh, you know, road systems, right? I mean, you, you just end up with all kinds of you know, challenges in the developing world. It's a mismatch, right? Between, you know, uncontrolled, unregulated growth and the need for uh, public infrastructure. And so this idea of, look, we talked about water and fresh water, very important. We talked about bandwidth. We've talked about roads, right? All of those you know, major infrastructure issues and electric. We talked about that. Now we're going to talk about sewer, kind of a yucky topic, but again, pretty important because when we flush, we hope it goes away. <laughs> we want it to go away. Right? We don't want to see it again. And so, um, you know, in, in many developments in Latin America, we talked about, you know, rainy seasons and dry seasons in the tropics. Uh, a lot of, uh, especially the Pacific coast of Central and South America is clay. It's an uplift from the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. I mean, it's just a geographic reality. Uh, you've got 
you know, you've got the subduction plates of the Pacific plates running into the, you know, North American, Central American, and South American continent. And so what you have is you have uplift of seafloor. Well, the seafloor is a lot of clay material. And so what you have along the Pacific coasts of, of Central and South America is a ton of clay. Well, clay doesn't absorb water very well. Um, and so what a lot of developers do is they sell you a lot and say, yeah, you'll put in a septic tank or a septic system. Um, and I don't know, is that common? And Rob, do you, do you have septic systems in, in, in the UK? Um, I don't. Not, well, they're not common to the best of my knowledge. I could be completely yeah. in, incorrect as most of our yeah. portfolios, yeah. regular, regular bog standard houses. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't know actually. Yeah. But, and, and I just, I don't want to talk about terminology that's not familiar to your, to your, to your listeners, right? And to your audience. But, um, but, but the idea is, is that each home develops, uh, develops its own sewage treatment facility and that the, the, the water that's left over after the, you know, the decomposition gets pushed into the soil, right? And so this is, this is what a septic system is, right? It's it tank to collect and then the, the water that comes off goes into the soil, well, the problem in much of Latin America and even the Caribbean is that the soils are clay and they don't absorb water. And so you end up with either systems that don't work and back up, which is when you flush it and it doesn't go away, and or you end up with very expensive systems, which means importing sand. You build these, you dig these giant holes, you fill them full of sand and pipes and just do all this other stuff to get enough drainage for your system, right? And they're very expensive. And so what happens is, is we shift the responsibility of the cost of that to the buyer. Yeah, the, the lot might be a great deal. It's a $100,000 lot on the ocean. But you're going to spend another $30,000 to put in a, a sewage system that works, right? So really your lot cost was 130. Maybe it's still a good deal. Maybe it's not. The other issue, which is throughout the developing world, and this applies to a built product, uh, and, and, and we'll talk about, you know, if you're building as well, um, but in built product, the size of the piping is usually pretty small. And so a lot of times people have trash cans next to toilets for the toilet paper. Um, in North America, that's not customary. Uh, and for, for many North Americans, you know, it, it's unacceptable. Um, I know that in Latin America, it's just sort of the way it is and, and it is what it is. Um, if that's a problem, you need to know that ahead of time before you buy a condo uh, so that you're aware that you'll either be able to flush your toilet paper or you won't. Um, if you're building a home and you've hired a local architect, you know, we talked about in the last segment uh, having uh, having somebody inspect your plans. Uh, I think that was this, this was this section. Um, the, again, the idea of another thing we should be checking on in addition to electrical standards, hot water standards, is the size of our piping uh, for for the discharge. So again, just something to be aware of. Uh, again, we don't like to talk about this topic, but if we, but we better get it right because if we don't, it's just a yucky thing to have to deal with after the fact. So anyway, oh, yeah, that was it on sewer. <laughs> I can uh, I can well imagine. In answer to what you're asking about septic tanks, uh, I would say uh, that most houses in you know, in the UK are connected to the main sewer system. Uh, but we do have a septic tank regulations of 2020 in England and Wales. So we do have, of course, some legislation okay. to cover septic tanks for you know, anyone that ever wants to read that. Just go on the Gov website and, and uh, check it out. But also, Mike, just on 
a different note of what you've just said as well. I also think even just from a uh, traveling or from a holiday perspective, not necessarily a holiday because you're going to be normally in hotels, but from a, a traveling perspective, uh, what you've just mentioned about the um, you know the, the the paper basket being next to the toilet and no flushing the paper that actually catches quite a lot of travelers off guard as well because uh, it's something they're yes, not used does. to so, so just a, a side topic there yep right and 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 again if we're on holiday for a week who cares but if that's what we have to live with for the entire you know next 25 years we own a property that's kind of a different thing right yeah, so yeah right yeah all right well, good. Thank you, and thank you on the on the septic uh, for for UK and Wales. It's interesting. It's a .gov site, right? .gov. Um, I think it's what you said. The, uh, the the interesting thing is, again, this is Big Brother looking out for us, setting a standard by which these things would be, you know, built, maintained, regulated, you know, whatever. Um, overseas, that's not the case. So, uh, one more time. We, the consumer, have to make sure that whatever's designed and built meets, you know, specifications that are acceptable to us, right? And that, and and if we're building something overseas and we want to use those specifications that you just pulled up, that's a that's a perfect thing to take to our engineers and our architects overseas and say, here's the system standards that I want met with my septic system, right? Because they may or may not have a set of standards like that that they would build to, so. Again, we need to be smart about these things. And, and the only way we get smart about these things is either to make a lot of mistakes and pay a lot of tuition, which, you know, kind of stinks, or, you know, get consumer resource guides and work with professionals who have many cases made these mistakes or watched other people make them and then, you know, avoid them because we can, you know, share in the wisdom that other people are, are passing on. So, um, last Last two questions. We'll do these kind of quick. Um, question number 14, what kind of safety and security is available? Uh, again, we touched on this in the own community and the homeowner's fees. Uh, you know, security is something that we kind of take for granted in, in Europe, UK, and North America uh, because it's handled by the municipality, right? We have the, the local police, constable, sheriff, whoever it is, the, you know, the, the, the police department, who handles public safety? Well, overseas, uh, you know, the, the, the public safety departments are, are very stretched very thin, and, and we shouldn't necessarily depend upon them uh, for the same level of safety that we would expect from our municipal services in, you know, in the developed world. And so, uh, you know, how is that being provided, right? Is it, you know, is it a gated community? Are there security uh, you know, uh, people working, is there a doorman at the condo, whatever it is, right? Uh, how is that being provided? We need to pay attention to it. We need to understand it. And then coming back to the own community about the, the property owner fees, the condo fees, are they high enough? We need to understand that we're going to pay for that uh, somehow through our association fees. Uh, and, 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 and just again, understanding what it is and how it's going to get paid for. So that was Question number 14, uh, and then question number 15, um, you know, title. I always like to talk about title, and we talk about what kind of title guarantee can be provided. You know, in, in again, in the developed world, we're pretty comfortable if we go buy a piece of property that, 
you know, that it has title, it has good title. Nobody's going to challenge the ownership of that property if we buy it. Uh, overseas, properties kind of fall into three categories, okay? There's good title. Nobody can challenge it. It's good title. There's very questionable title, which, you know, usually has some big long story attached to it, and we should avoid it. And then there's other types of title. So we're going to talk about all three. The way you ensure you get good title is to hire your own lawyer. Don't, don't use the developer's lawyer. Don't use the realtor's or real estate agent's lawyer. Hire your own lawyer. And if you really want to be sure, after you've hired your own lawyer to do all the work, hire another lawyer to review the work of your lawyer. <laughs> Sounds crazy, but if you're buying a two, three, four, five hundred thousand pound property, you know what? Spending an extra thousand pounds to have another lawyer review the work of the first lawyer is pretty good money spent. And and I can assure you, it, it is good money spent. So anyway, that's how you can ensure that if there's good title, it's really good. Then you've got, and, and those are the kinds of property to move ahead with. Again, hire a lawyer, maybe hire another lawyer to check the work of your lawyer, but move ahead. Good title is good title. There's lots of it throughout Latin America. There's also a, a small amount, a, you know, a, you know it's not, I'm going to say maybe it's maybe a quarter. I, I'll pick a number, maybe 20, 15 to 20% of the title in Latin America has problems, right? And it's bad title. And under no circumstances should you ever try to buy it. The, the way we know bad title most of the time is there's a story associated with the property. Well, you know, we're working on getting good title because, you know, Bob over here, you know, sold it to Harry, but Harry never finished paying for it. Bob had to take it back. But, you know, Jim, his neighbor claimed this piece. Of, I mean, but don't worry about any of that stuff because it's all getting worked out in the courts. If there's a story associated with title, I would just personally walk away from it because I don't believe a word of the story. Now, you can hire a lawyer to look into it. I'm generally going to say that that's wasting your money. But it's your money as a consumer wasted if you want to. Good title is good title. There's no story. Yep, here's the property. Here's the survey map. Here's where it's registered in the public registry, registro publico, right? No problem. Or there's a story associated with it. Walk away. There's another set of title type in Latin America. Some of it's okay. Some of it's not. In Mexico, if you, a foreigner, if you're not Mexican, uh, so your, your, your girlfriend or wife, Rob, can, can own this property, you cannot, okay? They have what they call fideicomiso. It's a bank trust. There's a constitutional prohibition for you, a foreigner, to own property along the, the borders of Mexico, which includes the coastline. Uh, that also applies in other countries. Honduras is another country. Uh, Argentina has that prohibition along the Andes, along the border with Chile. Different countries kind of apply that rule differently. So again, it's country by country specific. If you're not allowed to own it, there are two kinds of, of solutions. The legal legitimate solution, 
like in Mexico, a fideicomiso, which is a bank trust, which is registered publicly. It's done by a, by a, a, by a public bank, a public notary. And then that bank trust, it's a 99-year lease effectively on the property, is registered in the public registry. So it's all public, public, public. It's all legitimate. It works. It's worked for decades. Everyone's happy. In other countries, I'm not going to mention which ones, a lot of times you'll get somebody who says, well, I know this is a property along the coast, but you know, what we're going to do is we're going to put it in a X, we're going to put it in a corporation. We're going to, we're going to hire some, some local directors who are going to own this corporation, but it's in your name. You're going to get the stock, you know, to me, what you've just done is you've created a structure to circumvent the law. And that's not okay. You're not registering it anywhere in your name. There's no you know, FBO for the benefit of. And a fideicomiso, it's a bank trust, FBO, you know, Rob Smallbone, right? For the benefit of Rob, right? And that's registered. In these shady deals, it's a corporation that's set up to own a piece of property right here, but your name's not anywhere. You just happen to have the share certificates. You've set up a structure to avoid the law. I, I mean, people do it all the time. I know people who have done it. I won't do it. I don't recommend it. I think it's dangerous for many reasons. One, you could lose your property at any moment. And two, somebody's got something to hang over your head. And why, I, you know, well, why would you want to live like that? So anyway, then there's another type of property uh, there's a there's another no go property and that's a hedo land or or indigenous land. Um, it's land that was granted to large groups of people, indigenous communities for the most part, who have a prohibition of selling it. Generally, not always, but in the you know, vast majority of the cases, they're not allowed to sell it. That doesn't mean that they don't try to sell it from from time to time. So again, a hedo land, indigenous land is pretty much in my mind a no-go. Then you've got one last type of property called rights of possession. Rights of possession land uh, is in many cases registered at the public registry. You know, the, you know, Roberto and his family and his father and his grandfather and his great family from grandfather, they've lived on this farm, they've farmed it for, you know, 150 years, but it's never been titled, right? That kind of property is, in many cases, okay to buy. But the, 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 the way I would handle it and the way we have handled it, I've done this, um, is to have Roberto take it and process it to title. You, know, you make a contract with Roberto. You pay the legal fees to have it registered. The day the property is registered with a title, you then pay Roberto you know, for the farm, and then you now have a titled property. A lot of times people you know, take, oh, I'll just buy it as ROP property and I'll title it myself. Well, good luck. You may or may not be able to do that. Um, so anyway, uh, those are the property types. There's other issues in title that I don't have time to get into, um, but, but something very, very important because at the end of the day, when you write a check for, you know, uh, you know several hundred thousand pounds or however much it is, you want to know that you own it. Um, and, and there are, like I said, most of the property has great title. A small amount has bad title. There's some title that you can't have. Um, and then there's some title that can be, you know, rights of possession that can be processed into title. So a lot of different variables there. But again, having expertise, professionals to help guide you through that, uh, very, very important. So 
There it is, man. We just finished up 15 questions. That's, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what to say that. That is so yeah, sort of mind blowing and so much content that you've just covered in, you know, the, the trilogy, Mike, really uh, just a massive thank you. And on a, on a side note on question 15 there, um, Afidai Camiso, if I'm not mistaken, if I've said that properly, mm-hmm. uh, I'm a, you know well aware that, yeah, and again, yeah, depending on who's buying and where they're buying, the fact that the bank can hold that in a trust is or can be incredibly tax efficient. So again, speak to the relevant uh-huh. professionals because that's, you know, it sounds a bit odd, but actually it's quite, that can be quite a, a tax advantageous or tax efficient way of doing things. So again, just speak to the relevant professionals um, if, if you're ever going down that route, that would be my advice. Yeah, good, good advice. Great, great counsel. Yep. Uh, Mike, well, for people know how they can get in, in touch with you, if just do a very quick yeah. summary of those five questions on this third part of Know the Developer. If you just do a quick summary, that'd be fantastic. Absolutely. So uh, the first question is, it, it all, again, hinges with the idea of Know the Developer, right? Um, so... Uh, you know, how, how are you going to build your home from thousands of miles away? You know, how are you going to design it? So again, making sure you've hired, uh, you know, independent third-party engineers for verification. If you've designed it, uh, once again, having somebody local architect look over the plans to make sure that what's been designed meets your expectations for what you, know, you ultimately want to own. Uh the next question really, I think, it strikes to the heart of know the developer more than any of these others. Uh, and that is just simply, do they have a business plan, right? It, it, yeah, have they thought about it? Are they a professional company? Are they doing this you know, with, with a, a real clear methodology that they've spelled out on paper that you can you know, compare against you know, both the team that they have assembled to execute the business plan and then the financial wherewithal to carry it out. So again, uh, a business plan will let you learn a lot about this developer uh, very quickly. Question number 13, is there a sewer system? Uh, will, will, will you need to put in septic? If you're buying in, a, in, a, in an existing structure, whether it's a home or a condo, does the plumbing allow you to flush toilet paper? Again, not a happy topic, but a very important one for most people for long-term satisfaction. Again, understanding you know some of that 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 reality uh, that that again again most people don't want to talk about, but very important reality. Question number fourteen: How is the developer providing security? Uh, you know, how is it being paid for? Uh, what level of security? Again, because many times what we take for granted in in the form of municipal safety protection doesn't exist, the the funding is not there. So the developer and or homeowners association, condo owners association has to step up and and fill that role. So are they? Yes or no? And if so, you know, how is it getting paid for and and what's it, you know, what's it doing? And then the last question, uh, what kind of title? Again, good developers have a very simple answer. If somebody says, you know, will I get title to this property? You know, a, a good developer is going to say, yep, here's a copy of the Registro Publico or the uh, Fee Simple title or the Strata title, whatever it is. Uh, it's registered. It's all good. Uh, it, and, and again, there are some titles that we want to stay away from. And then there's sort of a, a, a couple classes of title that are you know, 
a little bit more work and and uh, something you consider. But but good title is good title, and the vast majority of property throughout Latin America, you know, has good title. Uh, we just need to know to ask for it and then verify it. Wonderful stuff. Uh, Mike, you mentioned at the start, if people wanted to get hold of a consumer guide, how do they go about doing that? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, you know, the easiest way to get a hold of the guide is just to shoot off an email to info at ecidevelopment.com. And in the subject line, just write something like, you know, Rob, Rob's podcast, uh, consumer guide. Just put that up in the subject line and we will make sure to send over a complimentary copy of the consumer guide with you know, all 15 questions, uh, a checklist, uh, which is easy to print off. If you're looking for property, just print off a couple copies and carry them with you and you can check off the, the 15 question stuff. Uh, and then it's also got a bunch of other resources, uh, some country handbook analysis. Uh, just it, It's a great, great resource kit for people looking for property you know, outside of the developed world. So uh, yeah, uh, reach out. Love to hear from you. And, and Rob, thank you for having me, you know, on your, on your podcast. I, it's been great. And you, you've added a lot to the way I'm thinking about things, especially as some of these concepts relate to uh, domestic real estate. I don't think I've ever really thought about that before, but, but you've pointed that out. And, and I appreciate that. That's a nice insight for me to take away from these, uh, these conversations as well. Thank you. And from this end, Mike, on behalf of myself, Aaron, who co-hosts, and you know everyone listening, just a, a really big thank you for your time. You've put a, you know a lot of time into doing a few episodes for the Property Nomads podcast, and you know sharing uh, first of all your journey and you know where you were and what you were doing to you know where you are now, and also these fifteen questions that we've just covered in this trilogy. It's been packed full of so much useful content and you know, incredibly useful and hoping that people will find this practical, pragmatic and yeah, just a, a massive thank you very much. Indeed. Well, thank you. And, and I, I likewise hope they find it useful and practical in their lives. So yeah, Rob, uh, look forward to circling back at some point in the future and, and then also uh, hopefully seeing you down in Mexico on the, in the uh, Riviera Maya one of these days. Okay. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Take care, man. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for listening to the Property Nomads podcast. Feel free to go and check out the website at www.tpmpodcast.com where we've got an excellent blog amongst other bits and pieces as well. Please do share this podcast with friends, family and people within your network. And if you're able to leave a review on iTunes, we would be eternally grateful. Until next time, adios.